0: Welcome to Life Eternal Radio. This is Pastor Ibrahim here at Life Eternal Ministries uh, in the program of The Good Shepherd where we share and discuss the Word of God and uh, we help each other grow and sharpen each other the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, and therefore we desire to teach you to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you may be a mature in your faith, not like children tossed around by every wind of doctrine. This day I want to share with you on, on the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. We talk about covetousness. Let us pray. Father, receive glory on an adoration. Thank you for this wonderful day that you have blessed us with. We ask that you may give us the wisdom to live every minute of this day according to your will and your purposes with our eyes lifted towards you. That we may do your will. That we may bring glory to your name that the world may know that truly you are God and Jesus Christ is your only beloved Son. For that is eternal life. In the name of Jesus, we pray and believe. Amen. The book of Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you." It sounds simple but yet loaded. I don't know whether you understand what covetousness means. In the book of Exodus chapter 20 verse 17, it is the last commandment, the 10th commandment, do not covet uh, your neighbors house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, do not covet his male servants, do not covet his female servants, do not covet his ox, do not covet his donkey, do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Pretty much do not covet your neighbor's property, your neighbor's servants and everything that he has. And so you may want to ask, what is covetousness? To covet something is to have an inordinate desire for something, something that is not rightly yours. It rightly belongs to someone else. It's an over-eager desire for wealth of this world. And a desire that is driven by envy. A desire that is so deep that you are willing to do anything to get that which you covet. KJV says let your conversations be without covetousness. There are times we joke around because of the things our neighbors have. Or we joke around because of the things our wives or our husbands or our children or our relatives have. And in that joking around, there is an illicit desire to want them that given the opportunity would do anything to get them and therefore KJV says let your conversations be without covetousness NIV says keep your life free from the love of money the problem is not the money the problem is the love for fa- for money another version says don't be obsessed with getting more material things be relaxed with what you have. Don't be obsessed. It's an obsession. An obsession, a strong desire for something you have so wanted. You don't know why you want it, you just want to have it. Uh, And maybe that desire to have it is that you may always be the one known to have the best of it. It could be the best house in the neighborhood or the biggest house in the neighborhood. It could be the best car in the neighborhood or maybe in the town. It could be fame, you know, popularity. People die to be popular. It could be a mode of dressing or your dress code. It could be your lifestyle. Things that you desire that are so Looking for the best word. Defiled, you know, defiled ambitions, defiled desires. It's worth to note that we are talking about desires, that desires are from God. And sin, as I have previously described, is a Taking a God-given desire outside of God's context through which that desire is to be met. For example, Eve desired to be wise. Eve desired to be like God, forgetting that he was she was already God. And when I'm talking about Eve, I'm talking about Eve and Adam, not just Eve sometimes. We think it is the woman. Adam was also there. And that desire, when you take it out of the context of God's providence and sustenance, it becomes evil. It becomes inordinate. A desire for something outside of God's providence and sustenance. It becomes an evil desire. It leads to covetousness. And the enemy uses that to attack the body of Jesus Christ, to create an inordinate desire, that which God has promised to provide in His own time. His time is the best, His time is right. And He takes that desire and He convinces you to meet that desire outside of God's providence and God's timing. When you look at it, covetousness and pretty much impurities, they encompass the whole domain of human selfishness and vice. Every sin is driven by that evil desire. Impurities are driven by that evil desires and you will see that Covertiousness, you cannot really treat it as an uh, independent entity in the categories of sins that violate and defile man. It is pretty much at the core of what you would call the nucleus of every sin. It links... To idolatry. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 links covetousness to idolatry. Now if, if I may go to Colossians oh. Glory hallelujah. Chapter 3 verse 5 the Bible says, therefore put to death your members, which are on earth, fornication and cleanliness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, which is idolatry, and so covetousness is equated to idolatry, and also the book of Ephesians chapter. Five verse 5 helps us to understand how covetousness is at the center of idolatry and um, it says for this you know that fornication and clean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God Covetous man is an idolater. Covetous man is an idolater, and so you cannot separate covetousness from any sin. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse sixteen. The Bible talks of his how, however you pronounce his name. And uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, this is in chapter 13, chapter 12, verse 16. He says, lest there be any fornicators or profane persons like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessings, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now, uh, Esau sold his birthright for a morsel of food. And he calls Esau a profane A profane person. And therefore, you find that covetousness is also linked to profanity. Profanity. Profanity, by definition, is irreligious or irreverent behavior, lack of fear, not losing your all. You may put it like that. In uh, a lack of le- reverence is also defined as idolatry. And so you find covetousness is at the core of Esau's uh, sin, Esau's uh, sin of l- selling his birthright just because he was hungry. And sometimes I want, I can't help but to think, uh, what if Jacob was not cooking uh, still at that particular moment when Esau walked in? Would he have died? And we obviously know that he wouldn't. But just because he saw food, just because he saw food, He developed a strong desire for that food that he would be willing to do anything, including selling his birthright, just to get a plate of food. And we know when you read the book of Genesis 25, 32 to 33, and he says this, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Completely despising uh, the right to be the firstborn, to be the inheritor, and to be the head of the family, should the father live. And he goes on to say, verse 33, so he swore to his, swore to him and sold his birthright. In all this, we see that covetousness places you at the center of everything. It's what I want. It's all about me. Covetousness places you on the throne. Covetousness makes you the judge. And the judge that rules to his own or her own favor. We've briefly mentioned about Eve and the deception that she fell into in the Garden of Eden. In verse 5, The devil tells Eve, for God knows that in the day you will eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you will be the judge and not God. And when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they became what I would call the insufficient judge. The insufficient judge. It's like giving your car to somebody who does not know how to drive and asking him to drive and to make the decision to take you where you want to go. That would be very dangerous. That would be very dangerous. The woman saw that the tree was good for food was good for food. He was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. He became, they became Adam and Eve, the insufficient judge because of that inordinate desire to be like God. That inordinate desire to be wise. God had already created them. He, he knew He knew them. He knew what they wanted. He is the one who gave them the gift of desire. And those desires, they were to be met within his providence, within his time, within his wisdom. But they desired that wisdom which took them outside of God's timing outside of God's wisdom. And by doing so, they defiled themselves. And being defiled, they were not qualified to remain in the Garden of Eden. They had to be kicked out. Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Do not let this Do not let this be heard from you, from among you. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. We just read Ephesians 5, verse 3 says, well, let's uh, begin verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Let it not even be named among you. We know. That it was at the center of the sin of Adam and Eve. It's at the center of every sin and every defiling agent that causes the children of God to stumble. That inordinate desire, that wanting of things that have already been promised to you but you want them in your own timing and in your own liking, and willingness to wait on God to meet those needs for you, that strong desire is at the root of every sin, it's at the root of every bitterness. And we know bitterness defiles everything that is around you, it defiles your garment, because you are now on the throne and as Adam and Eve were you become the insufficient judge over your life covetousness blinds you to think that you you are the one who matters most you are the one who matters most James says this in uh, James chapter 4 when There is a lack of contentment. Where there is a lack of contentment, there will always be wars. There will always be wars. This is James 4, 1. And the Bible says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? you lash lashed and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have, because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss. For when you're asking, you are at the center of the universe. And so you're asking according to what you want not according to the will of God. And so you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it in your own pleasures. And he goes on to address these people who fight because we have seen that covetousness is linked to adultery. And he says adulterers and adulteresses Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, The spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Conflicts arise because of the things that you want. No matter what level you are, no matter where you are, no matter what relationships, marital conflicts arise out of this inordinate desire. Nations war against nations because of the things they want. Murders and killings go on because of the inordinate desire, the evil desire. That has pledged you as the judge over your life. That rules against everybody else and rules in your own favor. Covetousness. Well, we have looked into this, and I believe by now we understand the effects of covetousness. Well, back to Hebrews 13, the writer goes on to say, For he himself has said, I will never leave you, I will not forsake you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. Yes, you have desires. But the assurance that the Lord gives us is an assurance that helps us put our desires on check. The promise that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, is a promise that is designed To put your desires on check. Anything that goes outside the boundaries of the provision of our Lord God Almighty. Within his own timing. Anything that goes outside of that. The Bible says, we've read in the book of James, that he gives grace. That you may see and you may align yourself back to God's will, God's timing, and God's provision. Let that provision, let God be your boundaries, that you, within those boundaries, by his grace, he allows you to manage your desires. We must understand that this promise contains the sum and the substance of all The promises, it is the summation, it is the summation of all the promises of God. When you have him, who is always with you, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. When you have him, he will supply all your needs. He will supply all your needs. By him saying that he will be with you He will never leave you He will never forsake you It means that the presence of God is for life Whether you are living Or even when you are on your deathbed He will be there by your side You will never be alone All others will leave you But God will be there with you And therefore, there is no need to fear. There is no need to worry about your needs. There is no need to be consumed by the fear of the unknown. Because he owns the entire world. He created the entire universe. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And he urges you and I not to worry. For worry will not benefit you in any way. And therefore, having him by your side is having all his promises. All his promises to you. Is to have him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Very important to understand. That in this world. Paul says to live. Is Christ. To die is gain. We gain Christ. We live by Christ. He will always be there with you. Be content with such things as you have. Be content. Be content. And one thing I will tell you is that having the knowledge or having the awareness of your treasures being stored in heaven allows you to be content in whatever state. Book of James Chapter 4 verse 1. No, 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 this is Philippians. Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. Paul says, I have learned in whatever state to be content. I have learned in whatever state to be content. Oh whether in lack or in plenty. I'm trying to get to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Yes, here we are, verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, Having the knowledge that your treasures are in heaven. Jesus says, put your treasures in heaven where no moth will destroy, no thief will steal. They are safe and secured, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so having the awareness of where your treasures are allows you to lift your eyes up to heaven and to set your mind according to Colossians chapter 3 on things above where you are seated with Jesus Christ and not on things below because things below, they always lead to covetousness. And so Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever state that I am. I know how to be abased and how to abound, everywhere, everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need and he says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the thing here is, he says, I have learned. I have learned. Mm -hmm. Learning to be content is not anything that comes naturally. Contentment is not a natural state for men. You have to learn to be content. You have to learn to wait because contentment requires that you wait for the right time and you only use the right amount that meets your need. All these within the boundaries of God's providence. I have learned to be content. Now, men cannot learn to be content outside of God's providence. Man cannot learn to be content outside of God's providence. And it's a sure way to know whether you are being led by God or not. By simply looking at your desires. Jesus says, learn of me for I am lowly and Gentle, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. It is not burdensome. Covetousness places a load over your head that you will never be satisfied with what you have. You may think you have seen it all, you may think you have gotten it all, but there always be something better. Out there, there will always be something better than yours. Husbands ought to learn to be content with their wives. Wives ought to learn to be content with their husbands. Outside of Christ, there will always be a more beautiful lady out there. Outside of Christ, there will always be a more handsome man out there. Outside of Christ, there'll always be those parents with children who seem to be much smarter, brighter than your own. Outside of Christ, there'll always be a family with a better home than yours, even when you're owning a 17-bedroom house. Outside of Christ, there'll always be something better than what you have. And that inordinate desire will drive you to want to have that thing. And even after you get it, you will still see there is something else. And that is the danger of setting your eyes on things below. Because all these things that we have inordinate desires for, they are all perishing. And the worst is that many of us put our trust on these things, we put our trust on our homes, we put our trust on our cows, we put our trust on our bank accounts, and we are constantly worrying, should the markets flop, are we going to lose our money, we are in a constant state of worry. And we brand it in many names. We call it caution. We call it wisdom. No, it's fear. And we are never at rest. Because fear will never let you rest. But the true rest comes by abiding in Jesus Christ. And we can only learn from Jesus Christ when we abide by him. When we sit at his feet. And learn of him. The things that we learn include learning to be content. With our eyes set to look up to heaven. And our minds focusing on things above. That we learn to be content in whatever state that we are. Contentment in life. Contentment. Even on your deathbed. It is a learned process. It is a land process. After all, we have the promise of the Father. I will never leave you. Neither will I forsake you. He will always be there with you. He will always be there to hold your hand. Bible says that I've never seen the rushes forsaken. I've never seen the rushes abandoned. I've never seen the rushes lacking bread. I've never seen the rushes lacking somewhere to sleep. Because they have the giver of the promise. They have the one who sustains life, that they are not consumed by the cares of this world. They are satisfied. They have learned to be content. They do not engage in competition. They do not engage in pursuits of temporary Transient things, fame and popularity, competing to be the most eloquent speaker, competing to be the most prominent pastor a prominent preacher. When you're content all those things don't, they don't consume you because you have learned to choose God. You'd rather be with God than be with men. You'd rather be applauded applauded by God. But not be praised by men. You'd rather be known by God than be known by men. That's what matters. It's a process that we learn. And this emphasizes the need to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. For when we are with him, we also learn how to be lowly as he is. We also learn how to be gentle as he is. We learn to bear with one another as he has bore with us. Because we have an audience of one, the father of lights, the father of glory, Jesus Christ. To know him, to pursue him, to abide by him is your pursuit and is my pursuit. May God bless you as this message speaks to you. May God bless you as his word cuts through your heart to separate bone and marrow, to design your intent and your thoughts, and to lead you in the path of righteousness, that your desires will be tamed by God That you'll only desire what he desires. And you will be okay with that. Because he is God. Father, receive glory and an adoration. Thank you for your word. I ask that, Father, you may lead us. You may teach us. You may show us your heart. And by your grace, O Lord, that you may... Guide us in the knowledge of your Son. And the knowledge of you, O God. That we only pursue that which you pursue. That we only desire that which you desire. And that we may rest in the assurance that, Father, you are with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Glory be your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray and believe. Amen and amen.